If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Did you know the top 10 mobile games in the U.S. gross more than $340 million in June? Do you want your game to earn more? App Figures is all about giving game makers the tools they need to get more downloads and revenue. You may already know them for analytics and app store optimization. Now, App Figures can help you keep track of competitors and the game market. From how many downloads they're getting and how much money they're making to their audience demographics and even which tools they use to power their games. Their competitor intelligence gives you great context. Got a great idea for an app or a game? With App Figures, you can figure out how big the market is and how much money you could be making with it. Say a competitor adds a new feature or was mentioned in the news. With App Figures, you can see if that brought in more downloads. And that's just scratching the surface. Whether you're growing your game or building a new one, App Figures has what you need to reduce risk and get more downloads. Best of all, you don't need a large budget or data science degree to do this kind of thing anymore. App Figures has made it affordable and simple. On top of tools, App Figures also provides a lot of guides and tutorials to take you step-by-step through gaining more visibility with ASO and increasing your revenue by learning from your competitors. They just released a free guide on that, actually. Head to appfigures.com forward slash on forward slash gain dev unchained to try app figures for free again that's app figures a-p-p-f-i-g-u-r-e-s dot com forward slash o-n forward slash gain dev unchained to try it for free if you like it use our special code gdu3030 to get 30 percent off for the next three months What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one game development podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham. As always, we're bringing you the greatest and latest news about game developers and talking to game developers around the world about what those news mean to us. So it's no surprise. It's been quite a while for your uh, loyal listeners out there. I was kind of absent, unannounced. Uh, in truth, a lot of it was uh, was kind of burnt out and needed a break. Uh, and with the time given, you know, I, I had a lot of time to to reflect on where I want the podcast to go. But also, it gave me a lot of concentration to kind of grow my my studio that I've been forming uh, for four to five years now. And I needed that time to kind of concentrate on that. But also, 
uh, I realized there was a lot of things that was happening since basically November of 2021 that, you know, the, the industry did not sleep. You know, it kept on going and a lot of things have been happening. And so I want to dedicate the next five days to kind of get myself back on the wagon uh, to get into the rhythm of podcasting again and bring you guys everything that you deserved uh, that you didn't get uh, in the closing year, but uh, catch you guys up to what's going on in the industry. So to kind of kick off this year with a bang, but also recap what last year worth of episodes uh, I wanted to kind of start this off with starting today and for the rest of the week, uh, kind of like a revisit of all, all the episodes on various different topics last year and bring to you guys and, and in that way, usher in the new episodes that are coming this year. So without further ado, the first episode was uh, recorded early in the year of 2021. As a reminder, we kind of came out of the pandemic and with 2021 starting to get people back into the workplace, but not really knowing what that persisted. And a lot of that was a lot of developers that I've had on the podcast asking about how they reacted to coming back and reacted to how the respective countries reacted to the pandemic. So obviously what we knew about the pandemic and the virus itself last year to what we know now is a lot different. So Dave Mervick, we had him on a few times and he's a senior narrative designer for Little Nightmares. And at that point, Little Nightmares 2 was coming out. But we dedicated the whole episode to basically talking about what was going on uh, and how that affected our game dev lives. This is from episode 255. Getting creative after a world-changing event with Dave Vermick. Enjoy. But I, I hope everything's okay. I just kind of caught the last something about your dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just saying, like when when my dad was out in West Africa, uh, when Ebola hit. Oh, I see. And, uh, and but it, it's like it was only because I had like a personal connection to someone out there that I was like really kind of struck by that, and he had to get out very quick. But like it was the same, like you were saying, you know, oh, this is over in China. And like it makes you feel like really ashamed of like your reaction to that. It's like yeah. how many people are affected by that out there. Ah, but it only counts when it comes over here. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, oh, now yes. we take it seriously. Now we're we have to, well, in the case of the US and the UK, do nothing until <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like absolutely out of control. But you know, it's just that, uh, yeah, you're just like that. Why didn't we take it seriously? Why didn't anyone take it seriously when? when you have a shot, I keep yeah. it under control. But you're it's always fun. thinking these, like, mm-hmm. even though it's like a whole continent, it's still so parochial, you know, and like uh, closed closed off. I'm like, well, it's fine unless it comes here. But now it's too late. I've seen Outbreak, you know. <laughs> Dustin yeah. Hoffman was on top of it, but no one else was. <laughs> it's funny <laughs> how that you're bringing that up. <laughs> no, I, I've seen that movie. <laughs> but I, I would say that um, there's something that to that. I, I think... One of the things that uh, researchers are kind of coming out of this, a lot of the we country that's like socialist type of countries are are handling this a bit better. The we kind of 
first type yeah. of mentality. And then the I countries such as ours are really mm-hmm. struggling with this and not even about things happening over the fence in other countries and continents, but like I see it within my neighborhood, like, well, it's, mm-hmm. you know, this, this so-and-so who lives down the street, they, they got it, but it's not our, our little bubble. So yeah. we don't, and it's like always to the last minute of just pushing, you know, the, the yeah, thinking keep, keep around pulling the next ladder up. Don't yeah. You? Yeah. Really. Oh, like, oh, right now it's you lot. I'm fine still. Lou. Yeah. And I'm still seeing that. It's like, um, even when my, uh, my, my sister-in-law's boyfriend got it and he works as a EMT at a hospital. So of course he got it. Right. But then luckily he didn't spread it within our bubble. And then the next, you know, it's very weird. You see these internal struggles with family, like my, um, immediate family is very closed off. Like we're treating this very seriously. And then our other parts of our family are just hanging out every week in these family gatherings, which is the number one spreader, uh, yeah. funny enough. But then that circle just got back together as soon as, as he kicked it. <laughs> I was like, guys, that was a close call. That was a real thing there. That could have oh, no. like oh, no. killed the whole family there, right there. Mm. But um, everyone just, I don't know, maybe the struggle is real. And I think I do understand and sympathize. It's like eight, like a year in maybe almost now. Mm. And if we had taken control like New Zealand, uh, people would have just tell me about it. hunkered down six weeks yeah. and just moved on with their life. But no, we're dragging this on because of our yeah. stubbornness, I think. And, and it's like, I think both the US and the UK had the worst people in charge at the worst possible time. I mean, like, yeah. you know, we, we could have, like someone said recently, like the UK could have had a situation like New Zealand if they hadn't destroyed that guy. And instead they got the worst government in, in the world. Who've done who've done so much to damage the chances of, of people getting through this? You know, it's ridiculous. And my sister got it as well. She's she works for the NHS, mm-hmm. um, and and it, uh, she, I was more angry than she was at the the token gesture that came every Thursday, where people would go outside and clap for oh. health workers for a minute. Mm-hmm. I, I, I found that insulting. <laughs> yeah. But this isn't that podcast, is it? But it, I, I am. Do you know what I mean? It's just no. I I think it's selling it's, selling the NHS out from under people, telling them they're not absolutely unprepared for something like this because they live on the edge all the time because there's mm-hmm. no profit in looking after people. Mm-hmm. But we will give you a round of applause every week. Oh well, thanks for that, man. But never, you know. <laughs> I mean, oh, obviously, it, this this affects everybody, right? I know we're a game development podcast, but like, look at how we're. I think there's a mental toll, even with me. I was working from home before, and kind of, kind of want to dig into if you had a history of working from home before, maybe a few days here and there. But even this was like very taxing. This is because I'm, I'm used to like working at home and then taking a break and a hangout in the weekend yeah, and yeah. then come back. This is like in prison man it's like i'm constantly <laughs> locked to work it's like what else are you gonna do yeah, but yeah. not be productive you're gonna you know you gotta have things to do and we're just finding things to do and it's mm-hmm. very i think as a creative there's a limit to that where it be, you can be really creative but then i'm at that point where i'm like i need to get the fuck out and do something yeah. <laughs> because it's, i'm, it's I'm just when, sourcing from the same garbage i'm recycling <laughs> from my filth to try to come up with something creative, but I, I, as a narrative designer, what what are you, what are your struggles through this? Like, 
how are you, how is it hampering your creativity, your inspiration? Um, I think probably, man. I mean, I, I've always worked from home a bit, you know, like because I can, you know, mm-hmm. so because I, I live out like an hour outside of town now. So like sometimes it was just better. I've, I've got no one to meet. So I it's better. I just stay at home and, and read and work and all that sort of stuff. But now it's this thing of like, no, you can't go in. And as soon as someone says, you can't, you have to do the thing that you're, you are doing, then you suddenly don't want to do that. You, you feel, yeah. you know, so, uh, and for me, like, it's this sort of, when I need to see people, I need to be able to go and see people. Cause I really, yeah. I feed off that. Like we've got such a great uh, group of people at Tasha as well. Like I genuinely, I, I, I imagine everyone says this, you know, it's like a family even if they're American, they have an American accent in my head. Yeah. But, but like, it's it's just a great group of people, and I I look forward to seeing seeing them when I get in. And like suddenly, when you don't get that, you don't get don't get the energy to when you walk away to sit down and work. You don't have that anymore. It's just like well, I'm at, I'm at home. Uh, I'll take the dog out, I guess, and uh, mm-hmm. maybe have a coffee. And then it, I don't know. I mean. At the minute, like the phase I'm in now is like, like I said, it's lots of research and and writing and trying out of ideas. Um, so it's kind of fine. It's what I'd be doing anyway, mm. you know. But uh, yeah, I the the hard thing, and I think for all of us, we all miss because we don't have, have breakfast together every Friday, Friday morning. It's just a lovely thing that get some music on, just sit sit at a table and bullshit with people. You know, usually a abuse the guy who thinks every Marvel movie is great or you know, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. He, he knows who he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you so like the like, last part of Black Panther? Really? You really like that last <laughs> fighting scene? You don't think it was overblown? <laughs> CG fest? I've actually stopped now. I, I, same with Star Wars. I just stopped. Like, yeah. Just, I, I, I ran out of fake smiles. <laughs> <laughs> It comes a time in everyone's life when you've got no more fake smiles to give. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you're talking about stuff that, you know, we've had a lot of people on and, and kind of speaking to the same, same struggles. It's like, um, like these human beings can go only so far. Like you can't really feed off each other and then they become like work. They feel like work. Now you have to schedule it to kind of just brainstorm and it's not spontaneous anymore. And that's not how these kind of creative sessions, you know, you want to go at it, but this is what we got. Um, are you <coughs> finding a certain rhythm now? Do you, f- what, what benefits are you seeing from this? What cons do you think it's just irreplaceable until you guys can get back in the office? Like what, what kind of discussions are you having internally and with your team of what's working with this and what's definitely not working? As soon as this is over, we got to do some type of hybrid approach i mean everything's working but that's how it is it's like nothing's nothing's better than it was before yeah but we're making it work and i think that's that's the difference now is in the very beginning it was just like a struggle you know to get group group discussions at all functional because you know it, it can be awkward anyway particularly if you're in like brainstorming or feedback or something no one quite knows when to jump in even if you're in the same room together but when you've just got to have like this digital hand <laughs> you know or like 
keep your poker face while someone's saying something that you absolutely dis- disagree with. Something yeah, which true. I abjectly fail at every time. <laughs> I, I watch my own face going, you suck at this so badly. Like, switch to profile picture mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it is, it's things like that where you need the, the energy of the room and you, you, you vibe off people. You know, you can see if someone's enjoying what you're saying or if they're not enjoying what you're saying. And now all you have is what you see on the video and you don't know what, maybe they're checking their emails. You just don't know sometimes like because everyone's got to juggle so much. Maybe they have to quickly check something or someone's bothering them or maybe their kid just comes in and you're like, oh, well, that moment's gone. And that happens to me all the time. You know, my lad will run in and just wants to sit with me and play with PS4 controller. I'm like, sorry, I am listening, but I have this also. So, you know, we, we make it all work now, but nothing's better. We had a lovely thing today, actually. Like, uh, a lovely colleague of ours is is moving on um and she was having like an exit interview and uh our hr manager kind of arranged a surprise goodbye mm. for her so <laughs> we all jumped in at the end of this exit interview oh nice and said tra and all this and that's uh northern for goodbye by the way I just realized i forget myself sometimes um, so you, you you kind of have to be a bit more creative but it, it all kind of feels patchwork doesn't it you know like yeah Nobody would enjoy a digital surprise party normally, <laughs> but like, all right, is this the best we get? Then we'll take it. You know, yeah. it, it feels better than nothing. So, but uh, yeah, I think uh, if anything, what I'm finding uh, with developers is that we're we're since we're home a lot. I am seeing, you know, when I started this whole thing, my kids more. I'm 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 able to kind of remind myself to take more breaks, you know, and enjoy, you know, what we're working towards this whole time is to, to, to enjoy family life and time at home as best we can. Because we really think about it, you know, eight hours away from home or 10 hours plus, depending on your commute every day, five days a week. I mean, that's a, at some point now I was joking, especially when we were finishing a project, I was seeing my, my cubicle buddy more than my wife. <laughs> <laughs> for months on end, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there was always something like that for game developers that we felt kind of locked to our table. And and I think I love the fact that dynamic has changed. And I think the the poor part of it is that um, it's kind of thrown into this extreme situation of uh, where we're parents and teachers now, and now they're always at home as well. And it's like, all right, I I need some break from people to concentrate. And it's just, it's hard to balance. It's not something Mm. that we should be getting used to, but temporarily we have to. Yeah. I think what, what, where we are now, like, because a lot of people had like been interested in, you know, like for for example, like flexible working hours, uh, um, you know, working from home where possible and all this because everyone has different responsibilities and they do, you know, particularly in Sweden, they want to help you have that work-life balance, you know, where you can. And so it all, it had been like on the, on the boil a little bit, but there was no pressure. And now it had to happen, like literally in our case over the weekend. Um, so now like when this finally, if ever is all over, um, now we have that infrastructure it's just working so you know it's it's that's the kind of thing they're thinking it's like if you you know 
it's there for you now. If you if you want to work from home, it's better for you and the team to work from home. Do that. But what what we want is for you to want to come in. We want to make this a place that you don't want to be away from for too long. And I think that's a really nice mindset that they're going to just make the office a really cool place. And obviously, we miss each other loads. But you know, it's available now. Like like you say, there there, there are positives to this shit situation where people have found out that there's some stuff that kind of works about being away from the office and you, they can make it work after all. So I think might, might hopefully we'll find that there's like a nice balance to be struck there where people can be productive in a really cool way. Like sometimes I have ideas in the middle of the night, I can come down and do a few hours then yeah. and do less hours in the day. You just can't, you can't be creative from nine to five sometimes, you know, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, I definitely uh, sign off on that. I, I think different people. I'm I'm an early bird. I've always been. Mm, me too. Um, I think part of that is being a family man. I have to, you know, if I want real work done, I have to wake up earlier than everybody to kind of get it done. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, there was a restriction to that with studios, especially. It's one of those. Um, it, it's appearances, right? Right. So if I'm showing up four hours earlier than everybody, no one sees that. They just see the guy who's leaving at four or five PM. <laughs> it's like, yeah, bro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a period in my 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 uh uh career that I had to kind of balance that out. It's like, you know, I get creative in the morning, but I can't show up too early, otherwise I'm spending twelve hours for no reason just to show that I'm there. Uh, uh, yeah. So it's always weird. But now I think with this, it kinda allows people to just check my check in, dude. Everyone's kind of doing the same. You know, you see yeah. that I'm putting in the time. You're seeing the good work that's coming through. It's purely about work. And then the office is just irreplaceable in terms of team gatherings mm-hmm. and just brainstorming. And I think that's the best of both options. I definitely see a lot of studios going that way. Um, I think I think that focus on, on the output is so much better than hours, checking your hours. Yeah. Have you, have you done your eight hours a day? All right. Yeah. yeah, I have. What have you done? Well, not that much. Yeah. well that, that that doesn't matter in the end then does it we're here to make a game i'd rather someone came in for three hours and nailed it yeah and went and took the rest of the day off is the only thing that matters in the end is the job or obviously you kind of you don't mess anyone else up yeah you know, i love that i love that it's breaking that barrier I, that industrial mm. revolution nine exactly. to five it's thing. so antiquated isn't it yeah, it's you very know? old and as creatives it just doesn't work it's never worked no. for me um i never liked it you know after 2 p.m after lunch i'm done i have a big meal and i'm like <laughs> mentally checked out <laughs> it's just like waiting around and just just fucking around with colleagues at that point which is valuable in itself mm. but that's the reality i don't know anyone that's super efficient really after lunch it's just people counting mm. the clock to get out um, There's a big push in Sweden for like the six hour day. The second episode I want to highlight today is with Jay Wilson. Jay Wilson is best known for his time at Blizzard as the uh, creative director for Diablo 3. And since then, he retired and uh, was focusing on his writing career uh, with his first novel um, currently out, actually. It was nice to talk to him because to kind of see his being absent from the industry for a little while and come back to kind of gain his perspective on what was going on. We were able to kind of talk about the online communication challenges that the pandemic kind of gave us between devs, um, 
the adverse effect when it comes to meeting online only and not having basically colleagues and talent around in an office to discuss game design specifically. And if, uh, you know, the global, the opening of global talent with basically remote working becoming a, a, a thing, uh, being a threat to people who are just living in the United States for U.S. jobs. You know, we covered like a, a variety of different topics and it's a great episode uh, that you guys should definitely revisit and listen fully. But here's an excerpt. Uh, for those who are curious. This is again, episode 254. How has the industry changed with Jay Wilson? Check it out. My, I'm going to be a little on the mean side there and say, welcome to the world of people who don't work well in offices. They've lived in your yeah. world all their yeah. lives. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, if they can live through that and suck it up and try it out, you can do the same thing. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, a lot of people being exposed right now <laughs> in this in this new time. Uh, this actually leads into my next uh, uh, line of questioning. So, uh, what happens now, right? So, this is the year that I anticipate that at least near the end, uh, we're going to start seeing game developers slowly crawling back into the workforce, uh, into an office, right? Just maybe slivers of it, maybe uh, at the end of the year with the vaccines uh, vaccines coming out. I mean, I don't know if you're still in Orange County. I mean, the numbers no, are pretty like, crazy right now. I actually live in Portland, Oregon now. Even better. I'm, so the I'm numbers are spiking, but uh, I think everyone is kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, at least where there is seems to be an ending somewhat, right? Um, I would love to kind of hear... Uh, what you think is going to happen now with part of it is what you said might be a hybrid approach. Um, and part of it is uh, how, how I guess pro tips that you think where we are changing, we are going to be working in a new environment, how game devs and teams can be effective in this new type of industry, uh, same game industry, but a new type of office environment, right? And I, I completely agree with you. The visibility thinking is huge in the office. You always it's weird, but you have to you have to overly say hi to people to make them realize that you actually are there doing work. Otherwise, it's very easy to sit in your cubicle and disappear. And I think a lot of game developers make that mistake. It's like, oh, it's about all about the work. Right. As long as my work shows, then I'm good. It's not that. Right. So um, and then you add this extra element with online connectivity and remote working. And now we're going to see kind of what is the best of both worlds there for a developer or a team to really navigate through this in a successful way. Well, I think you're going to see um, uh, more of a hybrid approach. I think you're going to see a lot more game developers who are okay with people um, working from home as part of their time working. Um, the benefits um, are very high. If for no other, you know, I used to spend when I worked at Blizzard. I didn't work that far from from Blizzard, and I still lost an hour to an hour and a half every day commuting. Um, and so that's a lot of lost time. Um, but um, I still think that the benefits of and the natural desire that management has towards um, 
towards a, a single development location is is strong. And I think as um, the pandemic goes away, as we've seen in locations where you know, there are parts of the world where the pandemic is is either under control or even completely contained. And if you talk to people from those parts of the world, they're like, eh, everything's like it was before. Um, I think we thrive on normalcy um, and we'll move back towards it as quickly as we can. But I do think we'll be one more open towards people working from home. We've already seen some of the big um, developers, not always in game development, but in technology in general, say, yeah, we're okay with it. I think Google has said, yeah, you can work from home for the foreseeable future, even after the pandemic. Um, So I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, I think we're going to see like good managers looking at their people and realizing how they're most productive and putting them in those situations, whether that be work from home, work in the office, um, or a hybrid. Um, I also think you're going to see a lot more uh, remote studios. Um, So that is going to be a thing. I think it's going to work better with small teams. you know, just naturally, small teams, communication is less of an issue in general. Um, and as a result, um, I think remote lends itself to a small team better than it will to. So by small, I mean under 45. Um, I, I know that's a really specific number, but it's been my experience that there are breakpoints in, in team size. And 45 is one of those breakpoints. I don't know why it's not 50, but it feels like over 45 is right around where you 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 get this new, like you need another layer of management. You need better uh, to up your communication. And I think probably bigger than that, you're going to find challenges working remote. Not to say it can't work. It's just going to be harder. Um, and so I think you're going to see a lot of, uh, smaller studios um, that are more successful and for no other reason than it's again it's very difficult to get people to move for a small studio but um, if you work remote you can hire from anywhere in the world mm-hmm. and actually speaking of from anywhere in the world although the remote working is great and I, I really do think the the people with uh professionalism and awesome work are never uh, should be never feeling insecure about their job. But overall we are opening up a barrier of entry where uh, overseas now that, you know, everybody can connect remotely uh, unless a studio really has strict rules about time zones. There's a new level of talent that can be invited within a studio setting for any of the disciplines now. And uh, at a fraction of the salary, even right. So, the, from that perspective, I would love to kind of hear your thoughts about how real is that scenario where uh, where it used to be. You know, we work with people with visas before, and they're super talented and stuff. But now <laughs> you don't need that, <laughs> and because of the visa thing, it, it prevented a lot of talent from getting into these great companies, working on these great projects, right? Good and bad, right? Mostly well, there, bad. Yeah. There still are legal issues with yeah. you can't just hire and and um, and have someone from another country work for you without working out um, 
I, I don't know the exact details of that, um, but it, it's not as simple, I think, as, um, um, as, oh, you no longer need a visa. But that being said, like, there are a lot of scenarios where, and already companies where they do that, where they, they actually um, have groups that are, or, or individuals that are working on the other side of the world. Um, and from what I've understood, the, there are a lot of benefits in, you think of it like, oh, well, that's a downside because um, one group is working at a different time than another group. And so their ability to communicate is not as good um, because of, of the difference there, you know, like one person sleeping when another group is awake. But actually, from what I've heard, um, the group, when one group sunsets, the other group starts and can address issues for the group that is off. And so you get this interesting back and forth um, that I, I, from what I understand, is can can work quite well. Um, but yeah, I, I think that um, I, I think the idea that if you have a remote company, you can hire from a much broader talent set and and from a much broader um, uh, geographical, you know, um, I don't know the words I was meant to, I was going to say words there, and um, I don't know the words I was going to say, but from anywhere in the world, basically, um, that that um, idea, well, yeah, that's why you do remote, like you, because you can hire from anywhere in the world. And I, I don't, when I say like, oh, you can hire from anywhere, I, I really do mean I'm not just talking about anywhere in the U.S. Um, or anywhere in North America. I do really think like, oh, yeah, you hire from anywhere because from every company I've ever worked for, we've always hired from all over the world. I've never worked in a studio where we, where we didn't um, have people from Europe, people from Australia, uh, people from Asia who we pulled into the company. Um, and um, I, I can't imagine that it would be more difficult remote. It seems like it would be easier um, if for no other reason you don't have to talk somebody into leaving their life behind. This third episode that I want to highlight about how the pandemic kind of was changing the industry is with Raid Prokopovich. Uh, so he's from Sozap, and our focus for that episode was about the mobile market. So the mobile market has always been industry changing, industry leading for all thing game related. And it was great to have him on to kind of discuss what the pandemic was kind of altering and changing. As you can probably guess, there was an increase of players uh, for the mobile market uh, as everyone's kind of spending more time at home. But uh, we were able to discuss his general outlook on the industry and the new challenges that came from the pandemic itself. So this, this episode is surely a great listen for those who are curious to listen to the full thing. It is episode 278, uh, Sozap in the mobile market after the pandemic with Raid Prokopovich. Enjoy. There is kind of like a coldness when it becomes uh, virtual only, where it, it really is becoming the focus of it's just about work, right? And um, yeah, it's, and it's, it's different. It is different. I mean, 
as a CEO of company that shows up now where we're 30, 30 uh, men and women strong now, uh, we have half, half, half the people in Serbia, in the Serbian office, right? And I speak to them more or less daily, right? But it's when I actually go down and I'm increasing that because of the COVID situation, I've not been able to do that for the, this past time. But now I'm slowly increasing uh, my uh, physical visits to Serbia because I don't know. I mean, when you talk about something, when somebody has an idea, if 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 or does something, if it does something good or, or does something, let's say, not so good, if you are there, I mean, the physical presence or the physical contact, even if like, hey, great job, and I, you know, tap you on the shoulder naturally or, you know, just human interaction, it, it, it I believe it feeds us with energy. It feeds us with energy to perform better or to or to or, or, or to you know um, uh, go over those hurdles together. Like if there's 20 people in the office and we have an issue, it's 20 people in the office, you know, assisting each other in getting over that hurdle, whatever it may be, right? But if everybody's working remotely, you know, it, 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 for me it's a sad it's a sad vision. You know, uh, people remotely in front of their their screens trying to produce a product, create a product. I, I don't see that. I would be terrified if that would be our future. Yeah, I, I think I'm I'm still on the fence with things because um I can see both ways, right? A, a lot of companies right now, you know, you know, we see it with Apple, we see it with Google, we see a lot of these companies kind of backstepping or like a remote forever, right? And at the same time, they're like, we'll see you back in the office September and special case only if if you want to. Uh, and there's like a huge resistance with a lot of employees saying that they'd rather quit than, and do something else. So we're seeing like this kind of like struggle of what's, correct and what's not and i think the truth is always in between last year we did we dedicated a few episodes towards like is remote working all it is uh what it, uh what it was supposed to be right but the the finding was pretty pretty clear like uh, a lot of companies were struggling with it. Uh, it wasn't all uh, roses, right? There was a lot of challenges. Um, the connection, like you mentioned, it was a key factor of, of it not working. Uh, and uh, I think overall, I I think overall people, game developers like to think of themselves as completely self-sufficient and always get the work done. But I think the large percentage of us are pretty lazy. And that accountability, I only think certain individuals can really do that. And it's from practice of freelancing or doing side work or side hustling or, or started their own business before so they can self-manage. I don't think a lot of people have that skill set to completely do it full-time at home just yet. It takes time, right? And the pandemic yeah, did well, not help. Yeah. No, I mean, if, if, if you look at the game, if, if, if somebody can do it, Game developers can. My, my colleagues, all the people that shows up, I mean, they're here because they love what they do, right? So I would say that for many, for many of them, it, it works. Uh, in shifts, it might even be good. You know, let's say working at home uh, one week of four or one week of six or when you have your tasks you, you, and we, we, when we know what we have to do, let's say a coming period, then I see, I see it as, as, as uh, refreshing, but I, I, I do believe that, I mean, I don't, companies like Google or Apple, they're so big that 
I can't even imagine how they keep their culture or, or you know, how, how they keep these things alive. Most likely they have a whole department just dedicated for this. But at Sozap, and for me especially, I, as a CEO, wouldn't want to run a company, even if it's, I don't know, profitable. Um, I, I, I don't want to run it without the human interaction. But that's basically my stance. I mean, I don't want to yeah. run a company, even if everybody performs, even if, you know, everybody does their tasks and we, you know, the results and everything is there. Personally, I wouldn't enjoy uh, being CEO of such a company. Human yeah. Direction, right. Especially today and in the future, I think it's, it's um, something to strive for. Uh, but again, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, Sweden we'll see. for Sweden, uh, I know a lot of companies uh, have uh, have struggled with keeping the performance up in particular way, as you said. Not all of us, and many of us are uh, not able to self manage. Um, but I, I, I do. I, I don't. I don't see. I don't see this lasting more than the pandemic. If you ask me, as soon as the pandemic is under control fully, I think. Uh, 90% of the companies more will go back to how it was prior. I agree. I, I think I'm already seeing that with a lot of the tech companies. Uh, they're reversing their stance. I I like to see, I like to think it's, the truth is always in the middle, right? We obviously have one where the employees like to stay at home and then the other side, you, you got uh, like yourself, right? Who, who, who see the benefit of being in the office and, uh, uh, I, I've seen both arguments uh, being pretty much correct because, um, yeah, I mean, some, some companies can say, yeah, we were super efficient, this and that. But even then, <laughs> uh, collaboration is so key in a lot of these creative ventures that I, I don't see a, a replacement for that just yet. And like you said, it would probably be a hybrid approach. With uh, Sozap, going back to that, right, um, you, yeah. you, you kind of like – started this company uh from from just surveying where the industry was heading um and uh i mean it came all true in in huge folds <laughs> with with shooters especially the last few years being huge on mobile um and and continuing to be that way and especially with younger generation it seems like the the phone is probably their first console and and most likely they're going to stick to that as their only console um even then, uh, I, I, didn't, I don't think it's the, the demise of consoles per se. You know, the PS5, the Xbox, all sold out still, even when yeah. economically the world was still seeing a disaster, but it still sold out. People were still being able to, to afford those machines. So if anything, it, it looks like the industry had this tremendous growth over the pandemic. Uh, people who got introduced to games early on are... are, are, are in, uh, discovering you know more more hardcore games or games that are uh more time intensive i would say uh so the the growth of it and everything is i would like to ask is it the expectation that you saw before like where where is it heading from here on out for the next five years you feel uh with the onslaught of um vr becoming more popular you know apple's it's rumor AR yeah. features are coming out too. Like yeah. a lot of these things are happening. 
to put to put uh, to, to add some more history i mean when 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 i got the idea to start sozap and when we got the first team i mean it was only nine ten i mean if you count the outsourcing that was done with our guys it was ten ten men on that game so we had this great like we saw we saw the future we were right about the future we had this great game idea we 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 had everything except the resources and 10 10 guys made that game so what i've learned from that is first of all you need you need to build you need to have the studio right and sozap as a studio is now starting to to let's say uh, get one man on, on each part of the deck if, if we say so so uh, that's the first thing and, and most of us know each other uh, and we've done armed heist so we're we're uh, warmed up when i look at the future uh, i do see two things i do believe I, I i see two things one being that software is getting more and more uh how to say the toolbox is more and more complete. I mean, you saw that on real MetaHuman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do see that what what needed two hundred uh, people, uh, a project that needed two hundred people two years ago, three years ago, right? I do believe it's going to need less and less people as we go forward. I mean, I, I believe Unreal and Unity, uh, they're buying up different uh, services. And I do believe that, you know, in five years from now, most likely it will be easier for smaller studios to 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 uh, engage in these, uh, uh, how to say, larger titles, let's say Battle Royale, 100 people networking, you know, creating characters, creating those terrains and assets, all of that. So I do see a future where smaller studios, if they are creative enough, can uh, can compete for the top uh, for the top experience for the users. At the same time, I do believe that the future will be uh, people have people will not have a PlayStation or an Xbox or a PC. People have their input device like a control, for, for example, the, the PS5 controls now are awesome with all this haptical feedback and stuff. So I do see that in the future, you, you're going to buy your, your input device, your hand, handheld control, and uh, that's going to be what you have. Uh, and then when you, when you play, you, you play on any, any screen uh, via, via your control, the control you like, the control you chose. Uh, that, that's what I see. So uh, I see a cross, cross-platform, cross-device future. Uh, that is what I see, uh, along with, as I said, Unreal and Unity, all the other engines getting more and more pre, pre-stuffed with functionality and tools, uh, which, which makes for an exciting future. I mean, what if, what if, what if a 50-man studio could make GTA 5 experiences, let's say, five to 10 years from now. Yeah. I think uh, you're absolutely correct, man. Like the tools are enabling smaller teams uh, to repeat what larger teams used to do like five years ago. Right. So it, it, that is certainly the trend where the tools are just getting rid of the, uh, 
the 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 boring labor that most game developers never wanted to do beforehand, right? So it gives it yeah, it opens it up. It's either outsource or it's being fixed with these tools, and just yeah. allowing us to be creatives again. And um, like you said, the the uh, Fortnite was a big thing for industry in many ways, but the most important thing it did was it force crossplay uh you know and i think between that and warzone like the shooters of course leading the way again and on a lot of these uh innovations that was huge you know for the longest time when at least you know when we were growing up <laughs> xbox playing against playstation players was was never never a thing you know that they're competing products and they're allowing their player base to play with each other on a single game uh, and now it's becoming so standard now now it becomes weird it's like why why can't i play with everyone that plays this yeah. game uh so that was a huge uh a step towards a future that you're you're kind of talking about where input devices are kind of like your choice but the content is just free for everyone not free but like just for anyone to play who wants it's to accessible play. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's accessible i mean if i don't know again i'm not, I'm not a developer and I, i'm for sure not as as uh, technically i don't have that understanding that my colleague and, and cto and founding partner christopher Blumen has but, but I like that I don't have that because that 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 makes me think um, a bit naive and outside of the box. If if you understand what I mean, uh, I mean I I would love I would love for our next shooter to be accessible through a browser. Oh yeah. You know, mm -hmm. you, you, you go oh, let's play let's play a session right. You you enter the computer you open a browser. I would love for our our, our next shooter to be. Um, so, mm -hmm as you say, cross-platform and, and the same experience on all devices. I think the only the only uh, obstacle that, that but it's going to be solved, it, it is the, the input devices. Like if I have this carbon fiber handheld control that feels my, you know, what I'm thinking. So if I think shoot, it shoots, right? If I, I have that control and you're on a mobile, for sure it's going to be uh, an unfair advantage that I have, right? But, but all of these things, I mean, if you look at some of the mobile games today that are free to play, uh, they have this, how to say, capped, capped experience. Uh, I, I like to play um, some games and then if I can, and most of the free to play games are, you know, pay to win in some way. But many of them have these tournaments or events where, where people's uh, equipment um, and what they have inside the game is capped to a certain level, right? To, to level the playing field. And for sure, I mean, uh, you're, you're going to see most likely the same same type of solutions coming up for somebody on mobile uh, playing somebody on a PC or, or what that may be. But but the most important thing uh, I would like to say is like people are people like to be entertained. Digital entertainment and in, in the video games, uh, I do see I do see them. You know. HBO, Netflix, Prime, all of these things. We stream, we stream TV series or movies. I mean, eh, games are going to go the same way. Last but not least, you can't talk about the game industry and how the pandemic can affect it without talking about VR. So VR has always been a topic that I am personally interested in year after year. And it's kind of great to kind of see how it 
progress and grew from where we're standing here. So I was able to kind of bring on a VR expert who worked on the HoloLens project and many other VR sets and, and projects. Uh, Scott Rogers. We were able to cover a lot of topics like online education, the social networking aspect, and how uh, it helps VR. Um, went back in the history of the Nintendo Virtual Boy to what it is now with the Oculus 2 and the other VR aspects that are non-gaming specific, especially in a world that everyone's remote but still want to be connected what virtual office could look like. So we went through all the ranges of things that I am curious about. And hopefully you listeners were curious about how VR kind of plays into this overarching um, story of how we connect to each other as developers, but as players. Check out the full episode, episode 260. What's next for VR with Scott Rogers. Yeah, I think, um, there's so much of a learning curve that we're, we're adjusting to. I think even before, I, I, especially with the younger generation, they were okay with the social networking taking over the life. And then we're fastly realizing that it's not enough. Uh, and it's actually detrimental to us socializing. Right. Who would have thought, right? Uh, but that actually brings up to the main meat of this topic that I wanted to talk to you about. So uh, I came across some very uh, great insights that you had about VR and VR, if anything, I believe have gotten a recent boost uh, Mm -hmm. for a few things. I think uh, because of Facebook taking over Oculus, Oculus treating their devices like phones. So they're, they're, we're seeing iterations a lot faster, a lot more evolution of that device and more acceptance. And now it's, it's crazy to see how, quick of a turnaround now that the quest two doesn't require any wires, any, any camera setup. That's a huge plus. And, uh, it seems to be one step closer for uh, general consumption. Right. Uh, right. And well, I, I would also add to that, that the interesting thing about virtual reality is people often forget that it doesn't just mean a device with the goggles. Like we are right now, Brandon, you and I are experiencing virtual reality and, and particularly, you know, that you have me on your virtual television set and you are sitting in your virtual, (laughs) you know, secret lair somewhere. And, um, and so virtual reality takes many forms. It's, it's not just, um, you know, the, the traditional where the goggles play a, a first person shooter, but in. Uh, this, you know, kind of stereoscopic vision perspective like the old days. I mean, virtual reality, the concept has been around for a very long time. Uh, the application of it has even been around for a long time. And and this is something that in my history class, I part of the goal of the history class is to just let people know that things come around again and again. It, you know, history repeats itself. And video games are no different. Uh, trends in video games and ideas and and even applications of play uh, get reused over and over again. And so um, one of the big one of the weeks we spend is a really hard look at the history of virtual reality and the fact that it really started in like commercially it started in the eighties. It there had been experiments all the way going back to the early sixties in it. Um, but then uh, it went through just like the traditional video game industry. It had a, a kind of a boom and a bust. And by 1992 or 93, it was kind of gone. It was, it was passe partially because 
the technology just wasn't there yet. And, uh, you know, the graphic resolution and the frame rate and, you know, all the things that contributed towards a good experience hadn't really been perfected. Now, people fortunately did do that and they spent the time. But I think it I think the things that VR are now benefiting from are a lot of things that came from the video game industry. I think that, you know, for example, this or the film industry. So this, you know, green screening, for example, to allow you to make these fun backgrounds and uh, digital uh, imagery, you know, creating a digital set. That's that's movies and that's video games. Right. So um, VR is now having this resurgence, this this evolution, because those other industries were moving forward where maybe VR was kind of standing still for a while. Um, but but I think now we're we're you know in a better place and the experiences can be um, much more convincing and much less painful on the user. I think that um, there's still several obstacles though in its way from it being to the point where I think it can be. Yeah, I think for uh, in a little while we'll kind of deep dive into what those. Uh, blockers are to kind of make it uh, what's blocking us from the matrix. Basically, I do want to sign off. Like I was a huge fan of the Virtual Boy. Uh, I never owned one, but they used to have these kind of setups at these malls. And anytime yeah. that we would go back to the mall, I would immediately go back. And I think I was playing the Mario on those Virtual Boys. And it, at that point, it was very you know uh, all <laughs> all red graphics. So oh, it's definitely. a terrible. It's a ter- it's a terrible device. I'm honestly surprised that you liked it. I liked it because I, it was different. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember I remember going to an E3 in Los Angeles when before it came out. And I waited in line for like an hour to use the Virtual Boy because I was, you know, I like Nintendo and I always respected their hardware and, and their inventions. And I the later on, I found out the guy who invented it was the same guy who did the Game Boy, and you know, his name is Gunpai Yokai, and he's uh, amazing. He's unfortunately he's passed, um, but he was. Um, I don't think Nintendo would have existed without a guy like him. him and Miyamoto. I think are two the two rock stars. He's Miyamoto gets all the credit, but but Gunpai Yokai is like the he's the Hardware. true wizard. He, oh yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> He did the light gun. He did the Game Boy. He did. Uh, he was the producer for Donkey Kong. He, you know, he's got his credits are amazing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, so Virtual Boy was like his baby. But I also heard that years later, I heard that the reason why it was all red was to keep the cost down. It was too expensive mm-hmm. to do the, you know, blue and green that you need to make full three, you know, full color. Uh, so they were they were trying to keep it ex- um, from being, you know, a thousand dollars. So I think it was still what around three, four hundred dollars. Right. Was the was the MSRP? Right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I waited in line for this thing and I um, I get to it and it's literally this. Um, it looks like a Viewmaster on a on a tripod uh, and a really flimsy tripod. Like people kept knocking it over. It 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 was like you had to like cr- the way they had it set up. You had to like crouch down and put your head into it. It was very uncomfortable and it was heavy. So and they had no there was no head strap or anything like that. So you couldn't like lock into it right. And it just in my I walked away being like profoundly disappointed by the Virtual Boy because I saw that the idea was good 
the idea of this headset where the game fully encompasses your field of vision and you've got the speakers on. So you're, you're, you know, you're immersed in the world, but the experience, the, and, and there's a, there's a video that I show uh, or used to show um, by a, uh, a YouTuber named the angry video game nerd or something like that. And he's got actually a really good segment on the virtual boy and, and he's foul mouth and he's, he's kind of a crude personality, but he shows like every game on the game boy and rants about it and how terrible it is. And, and all that It's pretty, it's a pretty funny video worth watching. Um, but it really does highlight the things that were poor about that system. Uh, and it's, it's, too, I don't, it's too bad, mainly because I don't think Nintendo will ever try to make something like that again, because that, that system tanks so badly. I think that they, they are probably haunted by the specter of the Virtual Boy, and, and if they had their druthers, they would probably you know, destroy every copy that was in existence. <laughs> I think Nintendo kept the spirit, at least, of their innovation. I think out of all the console makers, they've been always the one taking the risk. Oh, um, Absolutely. So yeah, yeah. I mean, the the, the Wii and yeah. and and all that is, you know, of course, the, the Switch kind now of this, too. It's killing. Yeah, it. the Switch, right? Yeah, it's the spiritual successors to the well. Game Boy really is the the thing that's amazing about Gunpai Yokai's legacy is if you look at the form factor of the Game and Watch, which is another thing he invented. That form factor has been the basis for every piece of Nintendo hardware, with the exception of. What was there was one system that wasn't quite I think it, was, it might have been the the GameCube or something like that. But like every other piece of technology and hardware that Nintendo has made, really, you can see a very clear line between the evolution of the Game and Watch to the to the two screen Game and Watch, which really looks like a DS. Yeah. Uh, if you look at right, if you know that two screen Donkey Kong uh, system, um, and uh, and it just you know the the form factor. Uh, just worked, you know, and it, and it support, it supported Nintendo literally for like 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. So I think Oculus kind of had the same effect, I think, but finally mm -hmm. realizing the capabilities of today's technology to kind of make it, you know, less like a toy, but more realistic. I think right, it was right. just hampered outside of the core players uh, uh, by the wires, by the setup. Like I, I own the original. Well, not the original, but the Oculus Two, right? Basically, with the right. wires, the camera setup. Yeah. And even though I was excited and I saw the huge potential and had a lot of fun, the setup killed me every time because I, you know, I don't have a dedicated VR room. I would have right. to spend ten minutes to set it up, and uh, that kind of hampered the replayability of the device for me. Um, but then, of course, the Rift S came out and immediately that helped, it, which is like the dedicated PC version of the Quest. Um, right. And that helped a lot. But still, there is like a, a resistance to kind of like <laughs> put it on, fire it up and like kind of take your whole living room apart uh, by playing right, right. Half-Life Alex, right? Half-Life Alex was, yeah, I think, yeah. was a huge turning point for me to kind of finally, like, finally, well, it, uh, the beginning of VR happens it now. was the alex was kind of the you know they call it the killer app right it's yeah. the it's the game that everybody wanted to play that everybody was excited about they're like oh you know i, I want to play the new half-life because i love half-life one and i love half-life two and all the episodes in that and so you know t alex technically is half-life three right i mean it's not but it is mm -hmm. and um and so i think that that and i think there were a few other 
games uh, on other systems as well. Like I think a few of the PlayStation games really got some attention, like the Resident Evil one and the Batman, the Rocksteady Batman game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then on um, uh, the Vive, uh, you have um, things like, like you have kind of lighter fare on the Vive, things like um, uh, Space Pirate Simulator or uh, Beat Saber or the Rick and, you know, then the, the kind of the, the, they're kind of the heirs of the adventure game, the click and point stuff like the Rick and Morty game, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the virtu- virtual reality. And um, I forget, there's a few others that remind me of that, yeah. that, that type of gameplay. But I think that um, I think I, I, first of all, I hundred percent agree with you, Brandon, about the tearing apart the living room and having to set up these towers and, and, you know, then you, uh, we have to make sure there's enough room past those towers. So you don't run into a wall or through a window, um, or into your couch. Um, and, and so remember earlier, I was saying there's some barriers to entry still to VR. And I think this is a big one. I, I, in my mind, um, I'm not quite sure unless VR really gets embraced for other applications than gaming, which there have been several attempts and people make lots of different products. But until I think the general user thinks of it as other than something other than a gaming machine or a gaming, you know, the, 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 you play games on it. I think that it's still going to be very niche and I'm, I'm a VR. I love VR. I, I love playing VR. I worked in VR for about a year. And when I was at Disney, we did some stuff as well. But um, but I don't see it replacing the home console right now uh, because the home console is much it, it takes up less space. It's much easier to just kind of sit on your couch and do things. I mean, we had a moment in console gaming where motion controls were big, right? The Wii and the Kinect and the Move. Uh, and those were fantastic systems and they evolved very quickly. And there's some really cool games for them, particularly, I think, on the Wii. They still hold up to this day. Mm-hmm. But but where is motion control now? Right. Like motion control has kind of been abandoned by the console makers. And I think there's a reason because of that. And I think it's the the commitment to the space that you need and the user, many users, myself included, just don't have the space to adequately use something like that. And so, um, you know, it's a, I mean, part of it is just the fact that many people don't live in a big enough place, you know, they live in apartments or they live in a, uh, you know, a small residential rather than a house with a big room in it or something like that. So I think that, I mean, this, this ties into a whole other, you know, things about, you know, economics and, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, cultures and things like that. But I think that that is a, you know, we don't have the holodeck in our house. Like houses don't come with that room that says, all right, here is your bedroom. You know, you're going to buy a three bedroom house with, you know, two bathrooms and a hologram room, you know, or a VR room, right? Mm-hmm. There's not, it just doesn't exist. And until it becomes part of the, uh, like in, until things like that are common and, and, people expect that in you know in the in just the structure of their house right like kind of like a family room i don't know do you have a do you have a living room and a family room in your house brandon <laughs> yeah but i, I know that's rare <laughs> i mean it is rare. i i i've rented houses that have that but i haven't 
I haven't lived in a house with a living room and a family room in like, in like 10, 12 years. Right. And I know, and I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm considered at an economic level where, you know, it's, it's, I'm doing better than, than many. Right. But, 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 but that said, I don't live in, you know, any house that would support that. And therefore I don't have that space. Now, the other half of the equation is VR is expensive Uh, right now. It's, I mean, even though it's cost, it's way more cost effective than it used to be and it's ever been, but it's still, it's still considered a luxury item. And I think again, um, the consoles are the main way that people, well, that and PCs are the main ways that people play games. And therefore, um, they're like, what do I, I really want to spend all extra money to just do this other type of game? And, and I think that there's reluctance from the market because of that. Again, I want to thank you for you guys being patient for longtime listeners uh, waiting around for me to come back. You know, I'm feeling stronger than ever and actually and finally getting help to kind of produce this every week for you guys. So there are a lot of things this year that I'm looking forward to explore more. The world of MT, the uh, never ending acquisitions day after day. We're hearing new ones and it's only January uh, and early February. And most importantly, there's this whole topic when it comes to the great exit, where not just our industry, but other industries are well as well are reevaluating their lives and how they want to see their work-life balance be more balanced, basically. And a lot of people are quitting. A lot of people are quitting or even double dipping or triple dipping, right? People are having two, three salary jobs without telling their employers, this is all happening. This is all changing the landscape. And it's a new challenge that I want to explore with all future guests so that you guys can tune in and listen on what's going on on the changing landscape right beneath us. So keep tuning in this week for a recap of what last year looks like as we kind of lead up to this year's range of topics. Thank you guys. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give Game Dev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail future, go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs this gives listeners a chance to kind of call in leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest darkest questions and comment on your deepest darkest secrets thank you everybody